St. Gregory the Great used to have a saying, Viva Lexio est vina bonarum, which means the life of the good, in this context he's talking about the life of the saints, is a living reading of God's word. You know, the idea is that we see and understand the word of God best when we look at the lives of the saints who lived the word of God and allowed themselves to be transformed by it. Take, for example, St. Francis of Assisi. You know, we are almost 800 years since he died. He remains a, a very popular saint. A lot of people don't know he went through a very dramatic conversion. He was born in 1181 to a wealthy family. His father was a successful merchant. And so he was growing up, he knew a soft uh, and easy life for that time period. As a young man, he was popular, popular with his peers, something of a partier. He showed some aptitude in the family business, but in time he grew restless and longed for more than carousing in wealth and comfort. Now you might think, oh, this must be where he begins to seek God. And in a roundabout way, you'd be right. But more immediately, what he was looking for was glory and honor. He wanted to be a soldier and to uh, capture the glory of the battlefield, so to speak. And it so happened that at this time, the city of Perugia and the city of Assisi, there was something of a quarrel going on. So he joined this military expedition to go fight the Perugians, this 20 or 30 miles from Assisi. However, instead of finding glory in battle, he found captivity. He spent a year as a prisoner of war until his father paid the, the ransom. Now, you might think, oh, this is where he began to be open to God's grace, a year spent in, as a prisoner of war. But no, he returned to Assisi unchanged, resumed partying with abandon, and inevitably that old restlessness uh, returned. And then one day a call rang out for knights for the Fourth Crusade, and he saw a second chance at the glory he longed for. Of course, this is a lot different than going 20 or 30 miles to fight Perugians. He would need a war horse and a suit of armor, not inexpensive items. Luckily, he had a wealthy father, and his father bought the finest suit of armor he, his money could, decorating it with gold, getting him his war horse. As Francis was ready to ride off, he declared to the town he would return a prince. But a few days into his journey, he had a dream, and he believed God spoke to him, telling him he was on the wrong path, he needed to return home. So the man who promised to return a prince comes less than one week later home, He's humiliated. He looks a fool. He's the butt of jokes. Not to mention, his father is irate at him for wasting a small fortune on a suit of armor that will now gather dust and a warhorse that he didn't really need. Yet God had plans for Francis. Francis's conversion didn't happen overnight, but this humiliating end to his failed military career was an important turning point. For it brought him to a place where he was open to sincerely listen to God in prayer. It wasn't long before he embraced poverty, giving his possessions to the poor, including, to his father's chagrin, some of his father's possessions. In a moment of mystical prayer, he heard the voice 
of Christ speaking to him from a crucifix hanging on the wall of San Damiano Church, the church of St. Damien, telling Francis to rebuild his church. He thought our Lord was speaking of that particular building, and so he immediately gathered stones and started to repair it. He had reached a depth of spiritual, uh, spirituality and holiness that few do, yet he was hungry for more, this time not glory or the pleasure of partying or the comfort of wealth, but hungry for God. And so he ascends Mount Subasio, Assisi is built, is a, is a town on, on the slope of Mount Subasio, and he goes into a cave to be alone with God. The Catholic writer G.K. Chesterton, he wrote an incredible biography of Francis of Assisi. My favorite part in that biography is that he captures so well uh, this transformative moment in the saint's life. Here's what he wrote. The man who went into the cave was not the man who came out again. In that sense, he was almost as different as if he were dead, as if he were a ghost or a blessed spirit. And the effects of this on his attitude toward the actual world were really as extravagant as any parallel can make them. He looked at the world as differently from other men, as if he had come out of that dark hole walking on his hands. Walking on his hands, what does he mean? Well, he means that if a man were walking on his hands, he would see the world upside down. But in seeing the world upside down, he would see it as it truly is. For when, we, when someone sees the world upside down, then the trees and the buildings, all the things that seem permanent and solid in this world are seen as hanging downward looking like at any moment they will fall and crumble, but they don't. In other words, he comes out of the cave looking even more like a fool than before, but in reality he'd acquired the divine wisdom and saw things as they truly are, absolutely and totally dependent upon God. It's hard to overstate our dependence upon the Almighty. We can't take our next breath unless he sustains us in being. We are totally and absolutely dependent upon God. And all that seems so solid, and all that seems so powerful and immovable in this world, would fall to nothingness without the Almighty. Now just a side note, Mumford and Sons, the band, they have a song called The Cave that's about Francis's conversion and borrows heavily from, uh, from Chesterton's biography. So for example, the lyrics sum up what I'm getting at really well. They read, so come out of your cave, walking on your hands, and see the world hanging upside down. You can understand dependence when you know the maker's land. They're singing about Francis's ascent up the mountain to encounter God, where this simple yet profound truth is seared into his soul, that we are dependent, as is everything else, on God, and this transforms him. Mountains are places of encountering God. We see that throughout Scripture. Moses goes up Mount Sinai to spend 40 days with the Lord and receive the law. Elijah, in a time of desperation, ascends Mount Horeb. There, God speaks to him in the silence, consoles him, and shows him what must be done. Both Moses and Elijah descend from the mountain changed men. In our gospel, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up the mountain, Mount Tabor, pray. And at the summit, he is transfigured before them. His divine glory shines through. The veil is pulled back. His face shines like the sun. His clothes are as uh, white as light. 
Moses and Elijah appear to his right and left, conversing with him. Cloud envelops them. A, a cloud throughout the Bible signifies the presence of God. The voice of the Father rumbles, this is my beloved Son, listen to him. What is going on here? What did Jesus bring Peter, James, and John up the mountain to see? To see that he is who he says he is, that he is truly and really God as well as fully human. You know, think of it this way. If we were blessed to see Jesus while he walked this earth, our eye would see what appeared to be an ordinary man. Our eyes couldn't see his divine, his divinity. Moreover, just as Christ, moreover, Christ had just made his first prediction of his own passion. And soon he will be nailed to the wood of the cross. He will really die and be placed in a tomb that is sealed. And so the veil is temporarily pulled back to show Peter, James, and John that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is God, that he is trustworthy, that his plan is at work, even if everything seems lost to the apostles' eyes, to their mind, as it must have on Good Friday. In other words, the transfiguration, it strengthens them for the trial that lies ahead. You know, Pope Benedict once said that the Christian life consists in continuously scaling the mountain to meet God and then coming back down bearing the love and strength drawn from him so as to serve our brothers and sisters with God's own love. Perhaps it was written with St. Francis in mind. Perhaps it was written with this gospel in mind. Regardless, this is especially true during the season of Lent. Lent is a time for us to answer the call to scale the interior mountain to seek God, to allow him to transform us into saints. To seek God in the interior mountain means to enter into deep prayer with God. Prayer is both a gift of grace and a determined response on our part. We need to spend time each day in praying and not just, you know, a few throwaway minutes here or there, a substantial amount of time. Not just vocal prayers, which are good and we should continue, but especially reflecting on God's word, speaking to him from the heart and listening, listening to him. If we do this, if we persevere in prayer, then we too will be strengthened for the, tri the trials and the crosses that inevitably will come in this life. And one day we just might begin to resemble a man who came out of a cave walking on his hands, seeing the world hanging upside down, understanding the dependence of all things on our heavenly maker. Then we will catch a glimpse of the saintly way St. Francis saw the world. Then we will catch a glimpse of the divine glory of God's only begotten son. So let us scale the interior mountain and listen to him.